0: Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of this Lord's day. And as you, who are the God who created all things from nothing, so also you are the God who rested on the seventh day. And so you have given that pattern to us. And that by virtue of Christ's resurrection, we, your people, rest on the first day of the week. As the pattern is given, and in the life that we have in Christ. And so today, we, your people, rest from our labors. So also, we gather together in worship, for we rest from the finished work of Christ. We rest in Christ. And so, we thank you that you have given us this day, and it is indeed a blessing for us. And so, we pray today as we look at this new topic of uh, work, and uh, the sin of laziness, that uh, you would guide and direct our study today. Bless us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so again, I I didn't uh, design this to fall on an extended, uh, long weekend, uh, but such is the providence of God. And uh, so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Uh, the topic of work, and then we may get into uh, applying some of the Proverbs. But I think it is so important that we have a right theological understanding of what work is and where does work come from because we we live in a culture that really pushes back against the idea of work being a blessing. And I think that's even crept into the church as well. And so uh, I want to start with just a theology lesson. Um, Now, some of you, this will be old hat. Uh, Some of you, this will be the first time you've ever heard this before. Um, I'm finding, actually, just in in conversation with other Christians, not necessarily within this church, but with other Christians, uh, in fact, I've even thought about doing a series on it, uh, that there are so many Christians who do not understand the creation ordinances. Um, And and so I'm going to touch on that just a little bit today that's going to tee up uh, where we're going in Proverbs. Uh, I actually think that we're not going to understand Proverbs appropriately on this topic unless we first understand Genesis. And so that's where we're going to start. So if you've got your Bible with you, uh, you can open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look specifically at verses 28 through 30. But before we do, I want to begin with this question. You don't need to answer it. I just want you to think about it. Think about it. Is work a pre-fall ordinance or a post-fall curse? Is work a pre-fall... You understand what I'm talking about there. An ordinance given by God before the fall... Is work a pre-fall ordinance or is it a post-fall curse? Is work a curse because the fall happened and God pronounced certain things which we're going to look at uh, as it pertained to Adam and Eve, so forth and so on. Well, let's start here with Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 28 through 30 with me. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold... I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Now, we're going to come back to that, hold that place. Now look at chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, so those are our two passages. So you're going to want to toggle between those two, those two passages. Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 30, and Genesis chapter 2, verses 15. Now, let's look first of all at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 through 30, and not necessarily related to, to work, but... If God gave ordinances, and indeed, according to our Reformed tradition, He has. That's our understanding of what this passage is saying. What are some of the creation ordinances that God gives in this passage? Chapter 1, verses 28 through 30. What are some of the ordinances that God gives? Okay, be fruitful and multiply, which means... Means exactly what you think it means. Have have children. That's right. So so this is this is from God. God is telling man in general that man is to have have children, right? And and to, to, to have, I guess, as many as the, the Lord ordains children as, as you will have. Incidentally, just to pause there for just a second, this is a creation ordinance given by God. Where else do we see this show up in Scripture? Ye Bible trivia knowledge folk. Do you remember? There's another place that this shows up in Scripture outside of creation. It was Noah. That's exactly right. And the the covenant that God makes with Noah, and He's telling Noah as they are about to populate the earth after the flood. And He says to Noah a few things. One, He talks to him about capital punishment. And he also gives him the ordinance of... Actually, he get one of the ordinances given to the, in the Noahic Covenant deals with capital punishment. But the other is, is that you're to be fruitful and multiply. So this is one of the ordinances that God has given to every human being. This is not to say that, that uh, those that are, are not able to have children or whatever the case is doesn't mean that they're uh, violating an ordinance. It just simply means in general, as God provides, that... Human beings are to have children. What's another thing that pops out here? Well, fill the earth. Interestingly enough, we see within uh, the Tower of Babel, which is God, where God corrected this, where man tried not to fill the earth, right? They decided they would build a tower to heaven and they would just set up right there and God dispersed them because all the way back in the creation ordinance He told them to fill the earth. What's another thing here? Subdue it. Now, interestingly enough, we're going to see this come back in the curse that God places on Adam. We call it, maybe perhaps we'll call it the work curse or something like that. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But in general, and and we'll we'll get philosophical for just a minute, we work within a closed system, right? Right? God created the earth and that's where we live. This is what we inhabit. Um, God's not making any more of it, is He? And so, God has designed the earth to reproduce and to provide for us. And fascinatingly enough, it doesn't matter really how bad we trash the earth. God's creation continues to to thrive. Now, we we can... you know, for those of us that are uh, old enough to remember acid rain in, in Los Angeles and, and some of the as I, fishermen, some of the streams that you can't even fish anymore uh, because they've been polluted and so forth and so on, we, we have the ability to corrupt things. But God's creation, if we all die off tomorrow, guess what's going to keep on keeping on? God's creation. And yet, in God's creation, He has given us the ability to subdue it and to have dominion over it. Now those words don't mean that sometimes people think dominion means dominate. That's not what that word means. It's more akin to management. God has given us something to subdue in the sense of use it. There are resources that God has given us in this earth. We're to use those resources. And also, God has given us the ability to manage them, meaning to use the resources to the best of our God-given ability to the glory of God. Right? Now... We know that our general workforce doesn't do everything to the glory of God. But we, we know, original, we know from creation how God has designed it. Now that's going to be very important when we understand work. So keep that in mind. God called man, uh, humankind to subdue it, to have dominion over creation, so forth and so on. Then it goes on to talk about the food that God has given. And keep in mind, oftentimes within Scripture... Uh, the topic of work is oftentimes within an agrarian setting. and That doesn't mean that the only work is in in an agrarian setting, and it doesn't mean those of us that do knowledge work, such as my profession, doesn't mean that I'm not working. Uh, Hold the jokes for later, right? Um, But uh, it, it does mean that in general, because of going back to creation, oftentimes we're taught about work in Scripture in an agrarian setting. Now, look at verse, chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. All right. So, what, what does this tell us about the first job assignment? What, what is, is Adam uh, and subsequently Eve, what is he given to do? Work the garden, work the garden right? T- take care of the garden. Does God need Adam to take care of the garden? Well, not necessarily, but we, the idea here and the Hebrew word here is akin to cultivation. And, and, and all of us who, who do yard work and all of us that do, plant a garden or things of this nature, we, we know this, right? I mean, God's creation is amazing, but there's something about man coming in and taking God's creation and cultivating it. Right? It's the difference between driving by a fallow field and driving by a beautiful vineyard. Right? Both of those are of God's creation, but God has given man the ability and the authority to cultivate that in the sense of work and then to keep it, which means what? The the Hebrew word means take care of. So that's it. So here we are, we're in a closed system. God has called us to use the resources He's given and in this closed system, we are to cultivate it and we are to take care of it. Take care of what God's given us in this. Now, again, keep that in mind. That is akin to where we're going with work. So, this is a creation ordinance. And so the question is, is work a pre-fall ordinance or a... Po- post-fall curse? The answer is what? It's it's a pre-fall ordinance. God has called humankind to work. Now, uh, let me just pause here for just a second. So, try as best you can to pull the term work out of the American context. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that, so I look around the room and I, I see a number of re- retirees here. And so the, the creation ordinance is, is not calling uh, for re- retirees to, to go get a job. Although I suppose if you want a job, go get a job. But that's not what the, the, the point is here. Really, it's more akin to Proverbs 31, um, if Proverbs 31 could be referring to a woman, but more likely is referring to wisdom personified, many of the characteristics that we read of that Proverbs 31 woman in terms of wisdom uh, are aspects of industriousness. And, and so in, in this sense, God calls all of us to be industrious, to, to do something regardless of our personal context. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great word. Stewardship is, is in fact, I, you know, I use that consistently when I'm talking about our, our, our giving. And that's the concept of working and keeping the, the, the garden, right? So, I mean, again, if you, if you, if you trash the garden... Um, garden's not going to take care of itself, right? So i got to be a good steward of the, the, the garden. You've, you've heard me use this term before, and this is a great place to, to use it. The, 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 not the term, but the expression, are, are we being good ancestors? Are we being good ancestors? Are the, the, the things that I'm consuming, the things that I'm buying, the things that I am doing, are, are they making the garden a better place for my great-grandchildren? Or am I trashing the place saying, ah, they'll deal with it. They're young. They're industrious. They'll come along and take care of this place. Well... It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Am I being a good ancestor? And part of that is the topic of stewardship. Am I being a good steward of what God has given me? So, what happened? What happened? If work is an ordinance from God, and it is in fact a blessing, keep in mind that Adam and Eve were industriously working before sin entered the world and loving every minute of it, right? Because we know that, because there was no sin. So what happened? Okay, now turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. And the question is, how did the the fall impact work? How did the fall impact work? And first of all, I don't have it here, but let's understand, the fall did occur. Uh, Adam, I mean Eve ate the forbidden fruit. She shared it with her husband. He likewise partook of it. Both of them fell in sin, and all of us fell after them. So so everything that we deal with in this sin-stained life as it pertains to, to sin is all a result of that one moment in time. Not a myth, a real event. They sinned, and we have dealt with the consequences ever since. But it's important for us to look at what God said in His uh, disciplining and pronouncing the curse upon Adam. Look at verse 17 through 19 in chapter 3. And to Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Okay, so think about this passage with me and now think about it in relation to the creation ordinance specifically stated in chapter 1 of Genesis. Do you see the connection, the agrarian connection? The, The blessing is given in the garden. Now, what becomes a problem of working and keeping the garden? It's not working for Him anymore, is it? It's working against Him. Does that mean that work is any less of a blessing? A a pre-fall blessing to Adam? No. Does it mean that work can be at times laborious, monotonous, difficult? Can it cause us to at some point hate work because of just so, so difficult it can be? I mean, look, if we were Baptists, five of you would have said amen. All of us know that work can be tough. And I'm not even going into childbearing as it pertains to Eve. I'm just staying with Adam. And the reason I'm staying with Adam is because this curse impacts everyone who works, right? And so even though it is agrarian in nature, we need to be careful we don't leave it there. We need to take it and pull it from its context and apply it to our modern lives. And what it says about our modern lives, chapter 1 of Genesis and chapter 3 of Genesis, what it tells us is this, is work comes from God and it is good. Work is hard and it's always going to be hard and that comes from our sin. And yet, we bring these together, yes, yes, Yeah. Well, not just, so yes, yes, exactly. And you bring up a good point, it, but, but it didn't just change their hearts, which indeed it did. But, but look at the text. What else did it change? Yeah, 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 I think I think you're... First of all, I'm just enjoying listening to you process this, so this is lovely. So so thank you. I, no, I love it. Second of all, but also, and this is important in terms of Pauline theology, also we're told something happened to creation because creation was impacted by the sin uh, of Adam and Eve by virtue of God's curse. This is why Paul says creation is... Groaning. It's groaning. Why is it groaning? Well, here's why. Look at, at chapter 3 with me. Uh, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. etc., etc." The, the The general idea there is that in God's curse upon Adam and upon Eve, creation did not work for them, but rather against them. Now, again, that doesn't mean that... I mean, one of the beautiful things that we see consistently, especially this time of year, is that I can put a a, a cucumber seed in the ground in my garden. And in my case, there's a 50-50 chance I'm going to get a cucumber plant. Some of you have higher odds than I do. Uh, but but the, the, the idea is is that God has designed creation uh, despite the fall, despite the thorns and thistles, where we know that the seasons are going to occur, the sun is still going to rise, the plants are going to grow, so forth and so on. And so it doesn't mean that, that it is not a functioning creation. Indeed it is, but it means that it is opposing, it is in opposition to mankind who, we might add, is to called to work and keep, keep the garden. And so we could add here that there is <clears throat> a symbiotic relationship between man and creation. It's instantly, this is just my, my personal view, feel free to disagree with me, it's, it's one of the reasons why, uh, even though I, I, I believe that there are many things on this world that could wipe us out, including nuclear war, I, I don't think there will ever be an earth without a human being uh, because Scripture shows this consistently that man and creation uh, are in relationship together. And so, and plus, I've read the book of Revelation. I know where this is going. And uh, somebody's there. May not be you and me, but, but somebody's there. And uh, of course, then we'll be there eventually uh, in the resurrection. Re- regardless, the general idea that we're, we're, I'm trying to convey here is, is that God gave a lot of things in His creation ordinance, specifically here, work. The curse impacted that work. And so it begs the question. Why do we work? If God gave it, we messed it up. Creation is against me. Then why do we work? And I I, I pose the question to you: Why why do I work if the work that I do is under a curse? What's that? Yeah, true, and the proverb says that, doesn't it? A man's hunger directs, you know, leads him to, to, to work. So that's true, according to God's economy, theologians would say. According to God's economy, meaning the way that He designed things, we're created to work. But that gets back to an, an even deeper question, or answer rather, to the question, why do we work? <laughs> yeah, that's a great, you know, it comes from the Puritans. yeah. In fact, the expression technically isn't, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Just because we fell in sin, keep in mind, God could have obliterated us and started over. But I, I don't know. Maybe ostriches would have been better than humans. I don't know. But actually, I do know ostriches aren't made in the image of God, right? We are. But the, the, the point is, is that God didn't obliterate us, but rather we're given a covenant of grace in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promise that God gives of a Redeemer to come who will crush the serpent, so forth and so on, but God didn't obliterate us. We continue in this creation that He has put us in. And despite the fact that this creation is a post-fall creation and we are post-fall sinners, it's lovely. I mean, it is a lovely world in which God has put us. I cannot imagine, and I mean that literally, not figuratively, I cannot imagine what the new heavens and new earth will be like. Because I look at this creation and I'm just amazed at God's glory revealed in it. In fact, isn't that what the psalmist says in Psalm 19, post-fall? The psalmist can joyfully declare, this, look up, look out, look down, look everywhere, God's glory is revealed in this. And so why do we work? To your point, Chris, we work because God called us and created us to work. It doesn't mean in, in the sense of a modern sense that everybody has a job, end quote, but it means that we are people who were created to do something. And we were created to do something industriously. That's why the command is to work and keep the garden. We are to be, we, we, the, the English would say, we are to be after something. We are to be pursuing something of an industrious Nature and so God has created us to work. So, if God created us to work, then why rest? How many of us, uh, how many of us, in in, uh, as a former businessman, I can tell you, there was a, a period of my life where I really didn't want to rest. Pursue, 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 and then hit the wall. Right. So, if we're created to work, why rest? Well. Before you answer that and you're thinking about it right now, look with me at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Did God need a break? Was He just worn out from speaking the world into creation? Just wore Him out. Like, I I can go more than seven days. Then why did God rest? Why did He who worked... And by the way, incidentally, Jesus said, My Father is working. My Father is working. And then He tells us something very interesting and has been since the beginning of creation. My Father is working and has been all along. His topic is Jesus teaching about the problem of the pharisaical understanding of the Sabbath. And so Jesus is talking about working. So why did God rest on the seventh day? yeah this is where we go we see this revealed to us by moses in the law of god and we see this consistently given to us as a pattern god has created us to work god has created us to rest now that's by god's design and so often we get the two confused right now it should not surprise us that we get these confused as we are fallen in sin with Adam, right? So it shouldn't surprise us, but so often we personally or those within the the world in which we live will see rest as overemphasized or see work as overemphasized. And so we we work and work and work and work and we, we never rest. And we, we as Americans are famous for working in our rest, right? I mean, I've got, I've got Christian friends who the weekend comes and they're off to some sort of weekend sporting event and they're working like mad on Saturday and Sunday for their kids' sporting events and they wonder why when Monday morning rolls around, they're exhausted in, in addition to uh, probably spiritual anemic. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't hear the end of that. Yes. Yeah. In in the Old Testament, we see this to work out. We don't see it within creation. Here, we're just told that it's a, a time of rest. Within the law, we're told that it's a pattern and within the law, we're also told that it's the Sabbath day, which was the specific day uh, of, of designated for worship. Uh, we see this pattern also in the Lord Jesus, as it says it was His custom to, to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath was obviously the seventh day uh, the, the, on Saturday. But yes... Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a whole rich theology in that, that, that we understand. And this is, this is one of the beautiful things in the Reformed tradition. When, when we emphasize the Lord's Day, so our, our Sabbath day is the first day of the week by virtue of the pattern of Christ's resurrection. Uh, and yet, we believe that uh, the uh, fourth commandment is not eliminated. We believe the Ten Commandments are still ten not nine, and so we believe that uh, in full force there is the command to keep the Sabbath day. And so uh, as uh, New Testament believers, we keep that day on Sunday, as has been the tradition of the church since Christ's resurrection, and we hold to that as also our day of worship. The theology of that, as I prayed at the beginning uh, of our our, uh, class today, is that we rest in the finished work of Christ. Christ's work, uh, His finished work completed at His resurrection. And so also when we gather on the Lord's Day, we're saying that we're worshiping our God as He has called us to do, the connection between rest and worship by virtue of what Christ has finished and completed. We don't work for our salvation, but rest in it. Yeah. Yeah, so that sets It's that's that's exactly right. That Hebrew word in that context definitely means set apart. Yeah, it's unlike uh any day of the week. And also, God's word, He's spoken into existence, and it's His word that feels like Him. Yeah. So His word is different from our word. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, God's work is, is different than our work. Um, furthermore, one of the things that we have to understand is we've never done, we've never created anything as the Latin expression ex nihilo. We've never created anything out of, of of nothing. Right? We are dependent upon the resources that God has given us in creation. That's not the case with God. Fascinatingly enough, and this is really chasing a rabbit, uh, but. Christ miracles. If you do a study of Christ miracles, they always occur within the closed system of the earth. Fascinatingly enough, yeah, he turns water into wine. He doesn't turn wine out of nothing. And so even in His miraculous works as fully God, He works miraculously as fully man. He works within the closed system that God has created. Fascinating a little tidbit, no extra charge for that. But you're, you're exactly right, J.D., and that's that's a good point for us uh, to remember, that God works differently. He sets a pattern for us in rest, and so we rest. To your point, Keith, is that we have to understand that in Scripture, those two are connected. Now, in the Reformed tradition, this is how that this has typically been uh, lived out, is that we set apart the first day of the week for worship, but we also set apart the first day of the week for strict, uh, you know, rest—not not working on on that day. And and we believe that that working is not that worshiping is not work, but in fact it's it's rest, right? And so we we come and we gather uh, in rest to worship our God. So, last question. What's the difference between rest and laziness? What's the difference between rest and laziness? I mean, we're we're, we're told to rest. God gives us a pattern to rest. And so how do I, in my own life practically, how do I differentiate between rest and laziness? Okay. If you rest you resting from labor laziness you're not laboring at all. Okay, all right. So uh, laziness is, is a, a not working, but different from rest in that the presumption is, is that you, you did work six days out of seven and then you, you rested, saying with the, the pattern of Genesis chapter 2, right? What else? It's a hard question, isn't it? Yeah, it's, and actually, fascinating enough, much has been written on this topic, and uh, I'm not going to say that I've done an exhaustive study of it. I, I, I haven't, but I've I've studied it enough to find out that wow, this is a lot a lot deeper. For example, um, there is. A, a, this one comes to mind immediately. There's a, there was a German philosopher named uh, Joseph Piper and uh, P-I-E-P-E-R, I believe was the spelling. And uh, Piper argued that much of the advancements in civilization came from the advancement of leisure time. And he, he makes the argument when you're, you're merely a hunter or gatherer, you, you don't make cultural advancements if you're wandering between breakfast and lunch what you're going to have for lunch. You've got to go out and and find it, and so Piper argues is that there's a certain aspect of this leisure time that has led to all sorts of advancements within the world in which we live. And he gives examples all the way back, if I remember correctly, all the way back to the pyramids in Egypt and and things of this nature. So it's a fascinating topic. It seems to me, and I want to be very careful here, because there are far wiser and better studied men and women that have, have approached this topic than I. But as I have studied the Proverbs and preparing for this study, the best thing, as best I can understand it is, is that, first of all, to your point, rest comes at the conclusion of work. So there is a, an aspect that we are industriously engaged and then it's, it's time to rest. The other thing that I have found is, is that laziness can involve activity, but it seems to lack an industriousness, and it seems to lack a certain ethic of integrity. For, for example, one of the first, if, if you look on the, the page that I have here for you for understanding the Proverbs, and we're not going to get to these today, but I'm just going to use this example. Look at Proverbs 12:27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will, be, will get precious wealth. Um, so, so the general idea there is that this person did somehow acquire the, the animal, right? I mean, maybe it was given to him, but he has possession of the animal. It says his game, but he is too lazy to do what? To cook it, right? So you think about the example when uh, Saul's soldiers were in the field and he had led them to fast inappropriately and they're so famished that they slaughter the animals and they just eat the animals raw, right? Now in that case, I'm not sure it was an act of laziness, but the general idea is that you get to a point where you'll just eat the meat without roasting it. Well, apparently laziness or slothfulness contributes to this. Yes? That's right. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't think that that laziness is, is to the glory of God. However, we could say that a man's industriousness may not be to the glory of God either if done with wrong intent. But yes, your, your, your points well well made. that's right. Yeah, if you couldn't hear, you see, if your heart's in the right place, even resting, the, God, the rest that God gives is, is to be done to the glory of God. And that's, that's exactly right. Whatever we do, Paul says. So the, the general idea here is that there is a distinction. And so, what's the right balance? Well, again... I'm I'm, I'm treading on dangerous ground uh, in in terms of giving a little bit of information that I've understood, but as I understand it, uh, there are seasons of life, and so there are seasons of life uh, where uh, our our work is more arduous, uh, maybe more time-consuming. There may be seasons of life where our leisure time is increased, uh, but in general, In general, understanding that there are different seasons of life and ages of life. In general, we are to be an industrious people. We are to be a people who are about something, and that something is, to stay with the agrarian example, working and keeping the garden and also resting as God gives us the blessing of rest. Questions or comments because we are not going to get on to the Proverbs today. Yeah, Don? Don? Yeah, yeah, good, 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 point. Yeah, we're we're not resting today on this Lord's Day because uh, we we're, we're seeking to, uh, or because we have, have sought up into this point to earn our salvation. But today we rest in the finished work of Christ because He worked for us. That's a great, great, and redemptive point. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? Yeah. 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 That's a great point. If you couldn't hear him, what he said was, "Is that, and this is also important to the Proverbs because the Proverbs thinks communally, uh, is that uh, rest is a blessing." To everyone, while laziness hurts others. So if I'm supposed to be doing something that, uh, if, if I'm an EMT worker and uh, someone has a health event and I'm lazily uh, not getting where I need to get, well, that, that's a major problem, isn't it? Uh, and yet, if I am resting, and if we are resting together, uh, this is, incidentally, historically one of the reasons why culturally uh, it has been a good idea. I realize in our pagan culture we've moved away from this, but but in a more Christian-influenced uh, culture, uh, the concept has been that work ceases on one day a week, uh, and in our tradition that was Sunday. Uh, and that's it's a community blessing, isn't it? It's a blessing to us all. Let me pray for us. Yeah. And I don't know if that be what will Yeah, that's a great point. And it's it's worthy of our, our contemplation. Uh when we're on laziness, help me remember to bring, bring that up. If you couldn't hear J.D., what he said is Hebrews uh, says that we will enter into uh, Christ's rest. And, and, and so there, there will come a time in, in which, obviously, in the new heavens and the new earth where we will not uh, be laboring under sin, but it doesn't mean that we won't be uh, doing nothing. God's created us from the very beginning, and, uh, and so we'll continue to, to work as it were. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of your word. And as we have turned to it today, uh, we are reminded of your creation ordinances. And may we be a people who are uh, faithful to them. And so also, may we be a people who rightly understand the difference between rest and laziness. And your call upon us to be a, a working and keeping people. Uh, may we uh, be, not be a people of, of idle hands, uh, but rather may we be a people of industry. So also, for example, as we've gathered on this Lord's Day, may we truly rest today. And as we gather across the street, immediately following this class, uh, may we truly contemplate and drink in the fullness and the richness of of the truth that we do not labor for what Christ has accomplished, but rather He has accomplished all and we rest in His finished work. May that lead us to worship You in spirit and in truth. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.